When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle. Caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Baltimore continues its winning ways this weekend. Just having your classic Lamar versus Cincinnati game. 27-3 win. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm Antonio Barbera and I'm joined by my two co-hosts starting with Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, Ravens, 4-1. and one. How you feeling? I'm good, man. You say classic Lamar game. It was not a classic Lamar game against the Bengals. We'll get into it. But nonetheless, like you said, easy victory for the Ravens, 4-1. and one. I can't be feeling too bad. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how you doing? Uh, I think similar to Tim. Uh, I don't know that... Uh, I'm glad we're recording this game today, or uh, this podcast today, because I think if we recorded uh, yesterday, the entire thing might have been what's bothering Jace, even though uh, I should not be this, I guess, annoyed or confused by a 24-point win by my favorite football team. <laughs> that was never in doubt, but... Uh, there are things to say about this game, so I'm excited to hash things out uh, with you all here. In most game recaps, I, I tend to do sort of a, a five-minute spiel on how the game un, unraveled, uh, unfolded, or as you, you could say. This game didn't really have a flow, so I'm not really going to do that. Uh, instead, I'm just going to point out that by the first play of the second quarter, the Ravens had a 17-0 lead, and the game was all but over. Uh, but there are a few points to talk about, uh, specifically some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. But um, let's just dive right in here, guys, with uh, some things that you liked from this game and uh, 
stuff you want to take away into some positives to take away into other weeks? Well, if we're going to do that, then let's head to the defensive side of the ball first because we said it on here last week. If the Ravens aren't going to get after Joe Burrow, then I don't think they're going to register a sack the rest of the season. And boy, oh boy, they got after him. Uh, I think it was 11 and a half tackles for loss total, seven sacks. I believe he was hit 10 times, I think, was the final number for Burrow. I think um, they credited him with 15 quarterback hits. Okay, let's increase that by five. 15 quarterback hits, uh, taking abuse all day. The Ravens are the first team in history to have five defensive backs register a sack, all five guys, including your nickel guy, Jimmy Smith registering a sack, uh, it, and it looked really good. Um, that being said, the Bengals' offensive line is horrific. Uh, the Joe Burrow is – I'm worried about Joe Burrow as an NFL fan. Uh, he has taken a lot of hits, as Jace just mentioned, and a lot of it seems on him now too. You could tell by sack four, five, six, he's looking at the line. He is not looking at his receivers anymore. So something to watch out for a guy that – you know, the entire league suspected was going to be this revelation for the Bengals, the finally their savior, and they don't get him some protection, man. It could be very, very short-lived. Yeah, he's been sacked 22 times in five games now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what you want uh, to see happen to your first overall pick if you're the Bengals. But this is a Ravens podcast, and as a Ravens fan, uh, I loved it. It was great to see. They got after him. It really was, and because we'll get into what, kind of wasn't going on on the other side of the ball which was much of anything it was a really kind of old school Ravens game in a lot of ways where they just got the lead and you knew it was never like it was never in doubt once once it got to 17 nothing and even really once it was 10 nothing you were like all right this (laughs) this game might be a bit over already they could just not do anything and I completely agree I mean it was the Bengals are just a disaster up front, but it was nice to see. And obviously John Harbaugh uh, has a great track record um, against rookie QBs. And this would have been a shutout if not for a very sad Cincinnati Bengals field goal (laughs) very late in the game that they settled for just so uh, they could not be shut out for the first time since your Baltimore Ravens also shut them out in 2017. So, you know, uh, Zero complaints on that side of the ball, I'll say. And uh, if we're going to stay on the positives before maybe we get in the negatives, uh, Marlon Humphrey is good at football and good at punching footballs out of people's hands. And I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> We've talked about this before. We've talked about this in the program. Uh, even going back to last year, the debut season for Pod Like a Raven. Which jersey should we all get? There's a new era, literally, with, with Lamar Jackson uh, at the helm, but a lot of new players. Some of us were looking for jerseys. Antonio is still just waiting to click purchase on the 15 Hollywood with the Hollywood customized on the back rather than brown. I finally did it yesterday. Marlon Humphrey purple has been purchased, and it is on the way to uh, D.C. where I live to be donned for the rest of the season. The guy is, in my opinion, the defensive player of the year so far, forcing turnovers. And if we're just we're staying positive here, I know... We'll be cynics later, trust me. <laughs> and you can talk all you want about, well, it's just the Bengals, it's just the Bengals. They didn't just beat the team in front of them on this side of the football. They destroyed them in every single aspect. And Marlon Humphrey, man, it, 
I, I put this on Twitter at Pod Like a Raven when it happened. It is no longer the peanut punch for Charles Tillman, who made this famous. It is now the fruit punch for Marlon Humphrey. Obviously, if you don't know, that was his Twitter name for a very long time until he wanted to get verified, so he changed it back <laughs> to his actual first and last name. It is officially the fruit punch, and the league should be put on notice because I have never seen somebody force turnovers the way that guy does. So, Antonio, I'll let you speak because we've we've stolen the show here a little bit, but defensive side of the ball, for the most part, incredibly positive on this end. Yeah, and I want to continue with the defensive side of the ball. When you're talking about Burrow, Jason, how many times he got hit, how many times he gets hit, looking sort of like a deer in the headlights, a little bit running around, trying to... Sp- to, to give the Bengals coaching staff credit, in a game that they were behind the entire game, they tried to, to take the ball out of his hands a little bit. We, we talked about Joe Burrow's numbers in other games where he threw the ball way too many times. 30 passing attempts is not a crazy number in a game where you're down a lot. And they gave the ball to Joe Mixon 24 times, 24 carries in a game that they were constantly behind, which you would never see a running back at that number of carries in a game where... You were down double digits for the majority. But Joe Mixon only coming up with 59 yards on the ground out of those 24 carries. That's 2.5 yards as an average for a guy that's done better against the Ravens. That that back has done pretty well against us in, in a few games. So really impressed with the defense in terms of pass coverage, as we've already talked about. Rough, uh, not roughing the passer, but rushing the passer with, with some blitzes and even some dropbacks. But even the the run defense was especially stout. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about was, I'll turn to you guys with this because I think you may have seen this a little bit better than I did, but the pass rush I noticed a few times against a terrible offensive line. (laughs) But they were able to get a little bit more pressure with fewer guys in this game than in other games. Uh, And I really just love the design that Wink came up with for, uh, for the interception that Burrow threw to Marcus Peters. Um where they made it look like a blitz. Rich Gannon says, here comes the blitz, pre-snap, and instead they only rush three or four guys. They drop uh, Wolf and Pernell McPhee into coverage, and yet even though they only rushed three or... I think it was three guys, two of them just came free, (laughs) uh, and Joe Burrow just back foot lobbed a terrible rookie rookie throw, basically, and Marcus Peters, of course, uh, was right there for the interception. So... A lot to like uh, from the defensive side, certainly. Yeah, and I, because I have been critical of him, I will say I thought Wink was awesome in this game. And, you know, it's a credit to him. Sometimes I think, you know, I got to say Patrick Mahomes a few weeks ago, the Ravens perhaps blitzed too much <laughs> um, the way that game played out. But... Uh, to his credit, he saw what can't the Bengals do? Protect him at all. And he just got after Burrow with these exotic blitzes. Like you said, I believe it was Chuck Clark, our good friend of the show, uh, sprinting right up the middle on that one, uh, the Marcus Peters interception. And uh, you mentioned Pernell McPhee. He had a great game, one of his best games in a while. Um, It was just a really well-round effort. And I think, obviously, it starts at the top. I think you have to credit Wink Martindale for saying, we have a rookie QB, we have a horrible... Offense. We have a rookie QB with a horrible offensive line. We just get after him and give them no chance. And it was brutal. And I felt bad for Joe Burrow. My dad texted me. He felt bad for Joe Burrow. But that's what you want to do. That's what you want to see your team do. And for a Ravens defense too, that hasn't, I don't think, you know, looked this dominant in a while. It was it was a really nice performance to see, even against say a, a you know an overmatched opponent. 
Yeah, they had to show something here, and they did with you know two or three exclamation points at the end of it. It was it was very good. I mean, you talk about it. The bang with 13 minutes left, the Bengals had seven first downs, seven punts, and the Ravens had sacked Burrow seven times. They ended up getting five more first downs and kind of very, very much garbage time here. Um, but an incredible performance. I will say I have one very, very good positive on defense before we move over. But before we get to that, because we are talking about the pass rush, I, I agree with you. Wink had an incredible game, really came up with some interesting schemes. Obviously, the Bengals made him look very good because they are very <laughs> bad. But he has to do that. When the guy who is supposed to be your premier pass rusher is garbage. I'm, we're done. We're done. Jace, you can listen back to the episode last week. It's on social media at Pod Like a Raven. We clipped out Jace's rant because he nailed it. And I'm not going to go into it anymore. But there, there should be no one left on the planet who wants to sign Matt Judon to a long-term expensive contract for the Baltimore Ravens. We'll leave it at that. Our, as you say, friend of the show, and I hope very, very soon he is, Jace, but Chuck Clark had an interception wiped off because Judon, <laughs> there's no fans in the stands. You're at home, and Judon is still jumping off sides. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, but, yeah, the guy stinks, and he shouldn't be paid uh, a long-term contract, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. I don't care if he goes on a tear for the rest of the year. I'm, I'm out. But yeah. on the complete other side of that, I think I love Patrick Queen as much as I dislike Matt Judon. He's so um, good. <laughs> behind the curtain, if the Queen 48 was available in black, I would have dropped $200 at the NFL Shop Store yesterday and not 100 because I was very close to buying two jerseys. He has led the team in tackles in every single game this season except the Kansas City game where he got worked a little bit by Andy Reid. But the guy flies around the ball. He's quick. He's clearly smart because he's always there. And... You know, we gave Marlon Humphrey all the credit in the world for the punch, and I think that he should get that. But Queen, being right there, recognizing the play, and having the athleticism to get over there, to scoop and score, and not get caught by anybody, I mean, they found another one. I believe Rich Gannon said, uh, and this is one of the times I was actually listening to him during this broadcast, (laughs) they had drafted five middle linebackers in the first round in Ravens history, um, which... I don't know the other two. Jace, you might know off the top of your head. Uh, it might just be linebackers, period. Like Ray Lewis, Peter Bellaware. Uh, Mosley, Suggs, yeah. Suggs and Queen. Okay, I thought it was middle. Maybe it was just linebackers, which confused me. But all that being said, they found another one. And uh, I am, as much as I'm out on Judon, I'm completely <laughs> in on Queen. He yeah. is the middle linebacker for this team for the foreseeable future. It, he's just such a good fit for especially where the league's gone, where speed's so much more important. I like CJ Mosley, but he is obviously compared to Patrick Queen, a much bigger, a much more lumbering's not even really fair, but compared to Patrick Queen, he kind of is he, like Queen is just flying. He had a great kind of, you know, fought through uh, some blocking to when Burrow rolled left. And like we said, him holding the ball a little too long, Patrick Queen was able to catch up to him, knock the ball out. Uh, and I don't remember if he also scooped that one. Uh, he or did. If, yeah, uh, he did. yeah. So he was he was just all over the place, and he, he he's had an, an awesome rookie year, and probably is honestly on the inside track to defensive rookie of the year, which would be you know second or third, <laughs> fourth Ravens player. Who I, I don't know how many they're up to. Right? I know uh, Ed Reed won it, and uh, Terrell Suggs did too. So. Uh, yeah, it seems like they really hit on uh, Patrick Queen. Obviously, there's room for him to improve, but especially to do all this without like any real preseason, I think is really impressive and uh, a testament to him to just his skill level. 
Yeah, I saw a tweet at, at some point, and it may have been shared by one of you two, to be honest, that it was, uh, I think it was Wink saying, yeah, Patrick Queen, game five for the Ravens was his first NFL game because the first four essentially should have been considered the, the preseason for him. The first four games would have been his preseason run to, to get his legs under him, but certainly he looked fantastic. He's getting better and better. Not much more you can ask. From this defense against a pretty bad Cincinnati team, uh, almost or Cincinnati offense specifically, um, almost posting a shutout. What should have been a shutout, save for an absolutely bogus last-minute so field goal and a meaningless field goal attempt. Cowards, I, I, I say. Cowards, absolutely. <laughs> I led this episode off by saying a classic Lamar Cincinnati Bengals game, but I guess I should have said classic Lamar era. Cincinnati Bengals game, because an issue in this game was Lamar, specifically, in a game that they won by 24 points. However, as we turn to the offensive side of the ball for the Ravens, there's a few nuggets of, of you know, good points to take out of here, but a couple things that we did not really love, and most of them center around Lamar. So I, I turn to you guys now, what, what, were, you, what were your thoughts on, on watching him in this game, where he made a few throws... Missed a bunch of throws and and certainly was not as active running the ball as he has been this year and versus Cincinnati in, in games past. So thoughts on Lamar Jackson and then just the offensive uh, approach as a whole. He was not great, but I think it's because he is hurt. He was listed uh, on the injury list pretty much throughout the week. Didn't practice two days uh, due to a sore knee. Uh, and then uh, Jeff Zarebeck reported uh, his illness was a stomach bug of some type. Um, so he didn't practice this week, and whether he was still kind of sick or his knee is still bothering him, he just did not seem right to me. He, I, he, career low, um, three yards in terms of uh, career low for games he started, three yards on just two attempts. Um, rushing. Rushing. Uh, passing, you know, 19 for 37. Not great. Um, and like you said, he just missed and he just seemed off. Like he wasn't really escaping. He didn't seem to have a ton of speed to get to the edges, especially when he kind of rolled out left a few times. They were, they were able to chase him down a little more than you expect from Lamar Jackson. So I don't think he was right. And he certainly could have uh, had room to improve. But that brings me to what really confused me with this game is why did Lamar Jackson throw the ball 37 times when he wasn't that good and the team led literally almost the entire game? It was a very confusing game plan and especially rewatching it today, like he wasn't that good, but the conditions, it was kind of a rainy day, a little wet. They weren't great. He's had a has some type of knee injury and was sick during the week so he didn't practice so that could have and he even said post game that didn't help his chemistry so then i turned to greg roman and i turned to john harbaugh and i just have confusion (laughs) over when your quarterback isn't playing well why aren't you running the ball when that's supposed to be the entire thing your offense is based on you know lamar ran two times so clearly they were trying to either protect him or he didn't want to run or whatever was going on. But the other guys are allowed to run. And they didn't do that that much. And they led the entire game. I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought. I was just really, really confused throughout this entire game. 
when your quarterback's struggling, why they don't just pound the rock more. Especially your 17-0, the Bengals can't move the ball. Once it hits 17-0, there's literally three full quarters to go. They score in the first minute of the second quarter. It's 17-0, the Bengals can't move the ball. Your interest should just be ending that game. Ending the game as soon as humanly possible by bleeding the clock. And... I don't know. They just got weirdly pass happy when they didn't really need to. And I was confused by it. I believe the number was 28 attempts in the first half. Obviously, Jace, as you said, he ended with 37 and hurt or not hurt. He just, you're, he was off. He, he threw for the second week in a row, a horrific interception right Terrible. at the end of the half. That was, I mean, so bad. and, and not even that guys, listeners, if this is a big primetime game against a defense that is anywhere close to decent, Lamar ends this game with four, maybe five interceptions. He threw it in the hands of defensive backs <laughs> yeah. a number of times, and it was concerning. He looked bad. And they can say all they want. It wasn't injuries. I don't know how much the injuries were, Jace. I think you make a great point. We don't have to debate that. Either way, he was off for some reason. And I remember sitting here thinking, and again, because get the rhythm, just like last week, and you can call us spoiled all you want, but you're a Ravens fan, you're listening to this, and you probably have the same concerns after what we saw last season and early this season, uh, outside of the Chiefs game, that the last two weeks, things against inferior opponents have just seemed off, and they've gotten away with it because they're dealing with the pond scum of the NFL right now, <laughs> but they don't, they don't get to do that every week, as, as we'll yeah. talk about throughout the season, and the running game... It doesn't look great, but it's still, uh, Jace, I believe you put in here third in the league in rushing yards. They rushed for 161 times, or 161 yards, excuse me, against Cincinnati on only 24 attempts. They could have kept it going. Uh, it, it made no sense to me. Mark Ingram carried it 11 times. Gus Edwards t- carried it seven. I'll let Jace take the floor on J.K. Dobbins here in a bit because I know he has thoughts, as we say. He only carried it once. Devin DuVarnay only carried it one time, although it was a 42-yard gain, and they showed that they were just pounding the rock in a different way, and yet they decided over and over and over again to go to the passing game. I believe after DuVarnay, there was like three drives, and in those three drives, the Ravens ran it like maybe three or four times. Uh, this comes from Jeff Zarebeck on, uh, from Harbaugh's Monday press conference. said, Jackson was fine. That didn't affect the game plan, yada, yada, yada. Also said he had no issue with the run-pass ratio. Quote, he came with notes. Pointed out that 11 of the passes came in a two-minute situation late in the second quarter where you passed the ball. And on first and second downs, they ran it 20 times and passed it 13. Now, Glenn Clark, a friend of mine, uh, somebody that I interned with, who now does Glenn Clark Radio that you can listen to for other Baltimore sports media if you'd like, he quote-tweeted this, and it actually was pretty interesting. He said, this is wildly misleading from Harbaugh. In the first 28 minutes of the game... They threw on 12 of 23 first and second down plays. Then again on four of their first six in the second half, despite leading this game 17-0. And my biggest concern here after this entire rant is I think Greg Roman might be getting too cute. And I know that sounds like armchair fan who had one or too many, one to too many beers at the game and is sitting there frustrated <laughs> with the offensive coordinator because he needs to find someone to blame for a poor performance. But On the eye test, it looks like they try and run the ball on a first down or a second down or whatever it is, and they only get three yards, and it's not the six yards they were getting last year at a clip every single time. And Roman panics, and he feels like he's got to throw the ball, and injured, not injured, whatever it was, 
during the game, you can see it's an out-of-sync Lamar Jackson, and yet they keep putting it in his hands. I trust Lamar. I think he's a way better thrower than his critics give him. Obviously, you know, MVP for a reason. It wasn't just his legs, but the game plan made absolutely no sense to me uh, on Sunday. I, th- I think that's a good point, Tim, because Lamar did have some great throws in this game. The third down. Uh, fantastic touched- throws. Touchdown fantastic to Andrews throws. was good. The, uh, the rollout to hit Hollywood right on the goal line. That was a great play. But, yeah, he was just off. And I don't know if it – I don't think it's defenses figuring him out necessarily because he still has enough good throws and enough touch on a lot of these passes. But something was off. And then I think that's – and, and, and for me, and I completely agree with you with just Greg Roman getting too cute. You almost wonder if, like, because they knew they were literally in, like, zero danger of the Bengals scoring any points in a meaningful way, if they weren't just, like, trying things out to see. Uh, they're like, well, we'll win this game, so why not just wing it or or what was going on? But it just it seems to fly so counter to what we've gotten used to the last few years with this team where it's like, you have a 17-0 lead. This is what they want to do every game. You get a big lead, and then you just end the game by bleeding the clock. They lost the time possession battle by 10 minutes in this game, even though they outgained the Bengals by over well over 100 yards. So, uh, they like, they still had offensive success, like we said. Um, and, you know, credit to them. They turned the uh, Burroughs' very bad interception into the touchdown that effectively sealed the game. But... Uh, and they took the Bengals' fourth down conversion, and that that first touchdown drive was quite good. They converted uh, on third down five different times, but then they only had seven (laughs) third down conversions the entire game, which is not ideal. Uh, And you rewatch the second half, it was just so disjointed, and I I don't want to, you know, just to keep standing on a soapbox. I do think part of it is how spoiled we've probably become as a fan base there are uh years as recently as probably two years ago in my life where i would have said wow i can't believe the ravens beat a team by 24 points this is fantastic what a great game they had uh (laughs) but we just have really high expectations for this team and we know how good lamar can be he's the unanimous mvp of the uh the nfl and uh you know their team's 31st in passing yards this year and i'm not too alarmed with that because they still are running well but it, it, it's just the flow the consistency um it's just seemed off and especially in this game it's against such a bad team even if you're trying things at a certain point you gotta just be like hey let's just end this game it's 17 nothing neither team the Bengals aren't scoring the rest of this game let's just get out of here as soon as we can and uh you know start getting ready for the Eagles so I was just confused really but I think broad strokes it is definitely the concern arises from when we, as you guys mentioned, we play better teams. Um, what Lamar did yesterday is not going to work against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a few weeks. Um, I have concerns for that matchup if uh, current trends continue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they beat the Bengals by 24 points. But it was just so uneven and so strange. And just concerns about Greg Roman, especially two weeks in a row. You're kind of like, it's weird to leave double digit wins feeling somewhat empty, but it, it, it just isn't all there yet. The Lamar injury stuff is frustrating because of how little we know of what's going on. And this was even before the season started 
that mystery groin injury came up and he was out a day, he was out two days, and all of a sudden he was 100%, even though it didn't, he said at least he was 100%, even though groin injuries for guys who run a lot are painful to deal with and slow healing. Then he has this mystery knee injury that none of us know anything about. Harbaugh's never going to say anything about it, about the severity of what's going on, to even just explain, you know, lack of accuracy in passes in a game. Mixed with this this illness that he had, bug, flu-like symptoms, whatever, we we both, or the three of us, panicked for about six hours that it was uh, COVID, potentially COVID-related. We almost got, did an emergency podcast. That, we almost did one. That eventually bad. got pushed aside. But what, so it's frustrating to not know just how bad these things are and how that is impacting how, how he's looked in the last few weeks specifically. But the second part of that is, and we've we've sort of circled it already a little bit, but it was very obvious that he had not practiced a few days with these guys leading up to this game. You would hope that wouldn't be after two practices that it was noticeable, but it was. Uh, the connection with a few of these guys, um, Miles Boykin, and, and he seemed to have zero chemistry whatsoever, even though in theory they've been on, like they've been together for a few years now. Uh, a few throws that he made, and he missed some throws, absolutely. But a few throws also looked like multiple receivers sort of weren't expecting the ball to be thrown or gave up on the route a little bit. The interception was a little bit of both. I mean, it was a bad throw, but no receivers were even really looking for the ball <laughs> at all. Uh, on a deep, like a 20-yard pass to Boykin, he ran five yards and then was just sort of looking at to see what had happened with the play as if it were a running play instead. So... We have this thought of seeing this offense and Lamar last year where seemingly every single possession they scored a touchdown, and that hasn't happened yet this year. They're still 4-1. and one. They still are winning games by 20 points, but you guys are absolutely right. They have to sort this stuff out in time for when they play these stronger teams, maybe not next week, but certainly in the weeks following that. And the easiest part of this should be shift the impact, shift the focus to these unbelievably talented running backs that you have in the backfield. J.K. Dobbins is averaging 8 yards a carry, except he only gets like 2 carries a game. That's very hard to do for a running back, to just run onto the field and be successful in a ridiculously short time. Normally a running back, remember 2005 when running backs needed to get 20 (laughs) carries before they could like get into the flow of the game? J.K. Dobbins had one carry for 34 yards yesterday. Get him the ball. He's so talented. He's so, like, the mix of power and speed. I, his one, um, crazy. I, like, I, did, I didn't know how to describe it. It was a mix of, like, Barry Sanders and Adrian Peterson in one carry. Give him the ball more. And when you have an injured quarterback or a banged-up quarterback who's out of sync, it should be so easy to do that. And yet... It sort of seems like what you, you what we talked about pre-show and, and a little bit during the show that they're like trying to get the kinks out in these blowouts in the passing game so that you know in December the rhythm is there. But I, I don't believe an NFL team would actually try to do that. But that's absolutely what it looks like, and it's frustrating when you know the running potential of this team. It, it, it's. The Dobbins thing has just confused me the last few weeks now because he is so clearly the most talented running back they have. I know we like the Gus Bus. We've waxed poetic about him and how we enjoy watching him run and the closer. Uh, And we love Mark Ingram, the ultimate hype man. He seems like genuinely probably the funnest guy on the team to be around. Uh, 
But J.K. Dobbins is the best running back on the team, at least talent-wise. And that his speed to the edge is just unlike anything they have from those other two guys. And he has power, too. Like you said, he finished that run hard. He gets one run. He goes like 35, 40 yards, just this spectacular run. And then, otherwise, they only seem to really use him in the passing game. It's just very confusing and especially for a guy you used a second round pick traded up to uh, select this guy i believe uh so i don't know why they're not using him more i'm sure harbaugh has some it's got to be some stupid protection related thing it's like he blew a sack protection once and that's why we're playing mark ingram fumbled the ball in practice once so jk dobbins is the best running back on the team and he should get the ball more maybe he's not the best but he's certainly the most talented uh and and they definitely need to get him involved more i do think to your other point antonio uh the practice time and the chemistry it is good because as you said boykins uh no catches willie sneed no catches but we will say one of the bright spots i thought of the offense is uh both mark andrews and marquise brown i thought had very good days and i think that's uh to your point those are the guys he's had chemistry with he has developed uh rapport with and uh you know perhaps he was targeting them too much at least for what some of the bengals said is uh he basically is targeting andrews over the middle or hollywood to the outside and that's about it um so you know Maybe that, but to the chemistry side of things, it's like, yeah, those are the Ravens' two best pass catchers. Uh, Lamar trusts them. They have a good chemistry, and it, I thought it showed, because I thought I thought they those two players, I thought, were actually really good uh, yesterday, uh, on Sunday, um, and had some good catches. Both had touchdowns. Uh, Marquise, several first-down conversions. So, um, yeah, I thought they were the the two bright spots, I'd say, for what was a strange offensive day otherwise. Yeah, last couple things I'll say on this. Um, I wish we could just go back to talking about the defense because that was amazing, and that's all I want to oh, do. Oh, so and good. <laughs> if I could have Ravens defense like that every week, I'd, it would feel so nostalgic and, like, warm my heart, <laughs> and it would just be amazing because this is, this is why I started falling in love with football was 17 to nothing games that the defense was on the field for 45 <laughs> minutes and still were just – destroying guys because they were out of this world good with hall of famers at every level this was every ravens game we watched from 2000 to 2000 except there's an except there's an mvp at quarterback although he struggled i will say this quickly on the dobbins thing because you guys nailed it i don't need to rehash those details but just when he gets in the game because it is limited watch the difference between him and ingram it's you can just tell like there's just more speed there there's more He's younger. He's not a 10-year vet in this league, and he's got that little extra something about him when you watch him play and when he gets the ball. Uh, He did have a couple catches as well. We should mention that so people don't get all pissed off about that. My final notes, yeah, I love Marquise kind of turning into his cousin on the field anyway of when – you you remember when Roethlisberger would scramble around and you're like, oh, just get him down, get him down, get him down. (laughs) All of a sudden he'd throw it to Antonio Brown because Brown would break off his route and just find a spot in the zone or get away from his guy. Hollywood is showing some of that, which is a huge thing for this offense. And on this offense, we can talk about them tinkering with stuff. We can talk about whatever it is. They've been bad for two weeks, and they have one more week to figure it out against the Eagles. Because after that, their next five opponents, home to the Steelers, away to the Colts, who have a legit good defense if you're not paying attention, away to the Patriots, versus the Titans if they, you know, start following COVID. Ever play again. Yeah. (laughs) But if they, we do play the Titans, obviously the team will be super hyped up and on edge for that. And then at the Steelers on Thanksgiving night. Those wow. are some incredible defenses coming up, and the offense has to get this figured out. They have to, 
or the Ravens are going to end up with a losing record through those five games. It's going to happen. Last thing. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I like finishing on positive notes, guys. Uh, if we had to grade this game as, as a whole unit, putting defense and offense together, we'd give it what, like a B minus maybe. And they won 27 to three and they're four <laughs> yes. and one and they are not in first place in the AFC North, but a half game out. Um, even though they've played an extra game over Pittsburgh, but in in sort of prime position to make a run, Tim, I, I love the point about these. You have this Eagles game coming up, and then that stretch of five really tough games. So figure it out, oh, and then uh, we'll put some <laughs> things together. Last few weeks we were talking about we were concerned about the defense, and we wanted to see something from them. So at least that has sort of gone back to what we expected, at least for one week against maybe a bad a bad offense. But let's see both sides of the ball put things together in Philadelphia next week. We're going to turn now to our random Raven before we get into the NFL recap. And Tim is up this week. So, Tim, what do you got for us? All right. So this is an interesting one. We'll see. I I have confidence you guys are going to get this, but we'll see. Clue number one. This player had two separate stints in Baltimore, playing four seasons from 2002 to 2005, and then one season for the Super Bowl champs in 2012. He started his career in Baltimore as an undrafted free agent and ended it after lifting the Lombardi Trophy that year. Clue number two. In his first three seasons, he only started five games. In 2005, or through his first three seasons, excuse me, he only started five games. But in 2005, he started in all 16 games for the Ravens. And in 2012, when he returned, he started in 13 games. Clue number three. His older brother won two Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Clue number four. In five seasons in Baltimore, he totaled 141 tackles, five sacks, and 11 tackles for loss. And clue number five, he also played for two other teams in his career, the Carolina Panthers and the now-named Washington football team. (laughs) I think I have it based on the brother clue. Yeah, I thought the brother one might give it away. I was kind of surprised we haven't done this player. I I had to double-check it, yep. But that is a random raven. I love a two stint guy. That's 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 always always a a fun version of a random raven. All right, so we will have Tim uh, go through those clues and, and get the answer at the end of the show. But we're going to turn to the NFL now, and we talked about the rest of the AFC North, and the Ravens aren't in first place because the rest of the AFC North keeps winning right alongside the Ravens, Steelers. 4-0 after their victory at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. Browns, 4-1 with their home win against the Indianapolis Colts. Guys, let's start with the Steelers. I put in the dock to discuss Chase Claypool, my God. Uh, let's talk about how good Pittsburgh has looked, undefeated as of yet, and uh, just found their newest uh, <laughs> wide receiver. They, they churn these guys out seemingly every four months, and they have another one in Chase Claypool with four total touchdowns in this game. Thoughts on the Steelers at 4-0 and, and leading the AFC North at the moment? Oh, I, I mean, I hate it. <laughs> they get the, you mentioned the receivers. They they just like, you know, Claypool at least was a marginally higher pick than they normally get these guys. Usually these Steelers wide receivers are like eighth round picks or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, Claypool was a second round pick, but I mean, four touchdowns and it's, so annoying and their defense is good (laughs) this is definitely the best the Steelers 
probably the best on both sides of the ball the Steelers have been in a long time. Because that 2017 team was good for them. They went 13-3, but their defense still wasn't all that great. But they're legitimately a great defense now. And it's going to... The Ravens are going to have to split with them, I think, if they want to win, have any chance of winning the division. Because I think the Steelers look really good this year. Um, and, yeah, Chase Claypool was, I mean, four touchdowns. You don't see that too often. So, uh, yeah, they have him, Juju, Smith-Schuster, just all these guys. Deontay Johnson sometimes, James Washington. They, they just get these random receivers, and Roethlisberger finds them. And the defense is good, and I hate it. And they're, you mentioned 4-0, first time since the Steel Curtain days of the late 1970s, um, which honestly surprised me. I would have assumed they would have, you know, this team has a 15-1 season in there, so the fact that <laughs> they and a few other 12-1 seasons. So the fact that they haven't started 4-0 in over 40 years is really astonishing. But, yeah, it's very upsetting. They're good, and even more upsetting, I'll say, is that the Browns are also good this year. All right, <laughs> all right, I expected all right. the Steelers to be good. Before we get to them, <laughs> I'll say a couple things. One, part of the reason we went 14-2 and last year is because Duck Hodges was throwing passes for the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. That is not the case this year. They're back to where they are. And not to be this guy, not to be the homer, <laughs> but yes, they're 4-0. The positive, if you're a Steelers fan, you go, well, they haven't really played that well in a lot of these games, and they're still 4-0. They barely beat the New York Giants. They barely beat the Denver Broncos. They barely beat the Houston Texans. And then they just beat the Philadelphia Eagles. That ain't a murderer's row of opponents. In fact, it's quite the opposite. All you need to do is throw in the Jets in there, and it'll probably be some of the worst teams <laughs> in the league as well. Maybe give them a Jacksonville every once in a while. So, yes... They're 4-0. Yes, it's annoying that, especially because the Ravens outside of Hollywood are notoriously horrific at drafting wide receivers. <laughs> the Steelers are the complete opposite, which just, you know, it, it infuriates you and makes your blood boil if you cheer for the purple and black. But I won't, I'm not going to crown uh, Pittsburgh quite yet. Now, again, 4-0, it's scary. They are very good. Everything Jay said is right. But you got to look at who they played. And, like, it's just... They stink. The teams they played have stunk. Now, if we want to turn to the other side, I'm going to let one of you guys start because it's really going to pain me. Well, I just want to add one more thing. I agree with you, Tim. The schedule has been soft for them the first four games. The problem is the schedule is kind of soft for them the entire season because they haven't. They don't have to play that slate that the Ravens have. You know, when you uh, win the AFC North, guys, you have to play tougher teams the following season. So the Ravens have gotten used to that. No, but the Steelers' schedule, if you go through it, it's just not that challenging and it's going to be annoying because they're going to win all these like bad games now they play one of their tougher games left on the schedule is at Cowboys that's not going to be the same game that it was going to be they play the Ravens twice and they play at the Bills that's pretty much the tough slate and the other issue is Ben Roethlisberger boy lock in uh, at the moment comeback player of the year because while the team I agree again that the team has not played that that well in those four games Pittsburgh Ben Roethlisberger through four games 70% completions percentage a thousand yards 10 touchdowns one interception and I don't like that we have Ben Roethlisberger back in our lives when we shouldn't the guy is 38 years old and his style of play should not have survived this long and yet he's All but back, and I feel like he's only going to get better as the season goes along if he can stay healthy, as he gets more and more in sync. Um, 
and just gets more and more used to playing football games. So I, I'm just they're going to be there at the top of the AFC North for, for the rest of the year. Um, and Jace, I love the thought of having to split w- with them. Um, but I think they, the Ravens can take can take both games based on how who the Steelers have played in the first month. Turning to the Browns, Tim, you don't want to uh, you don't want to dive in with the Browns here first. Uh, yeah, fine, fine, fine. Because <laughs> last week I came on here and I said I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it until they do something. Ladies and gentlemen, I might believe in the Browns as a neutral. <laughs> um, they turns out when you have talented players and a coach who is not a bumbling idiot at the head of your team, you actually are pretty decent. Uh, Odell Beckham, good on him. He's finally trying in a Cleveland shirt. That's good for them. Uh, <laughs> Baker Mayfield is, has been limited. I mean, he threw 37 times yesterday. I thought he played pretty well. I watched a lot of that game against Indianapolis on Sunday. Excuse me. Um, and he played okay, but hey, they have two great running backs. One of them went out, and Kareem Hunt was incredible. 20 carries for 72 yards. He also got involved three catches, 21 yards as well. Um, they are relying on the run game to set up their pass game a little bit. And Indy is a very good defense. Uh, they were among the top five, at least in pretty much all metrics and all stats. And yeah, this Cleveland team might be pretty good. Uh, now let's see this week coming up, they're playing Pittsburgh and maybe they get shellacked and I can go back to laughing at Cleveland again. And let's hope that's true. But that game, as much as Phil Rivers at $25 million for a year is completely shooting the Colts in the foot, I thought the Browns <laughs> were impressive uh, on Sunday, and um, I hate it. I hate that more than the Steelers being good because I want the Browns to be bad for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's 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 worse, I think, the Browns <laughs> being good than the Steelers being good because, you know, the Steelers are a great franchise. They're very well run. Obviously, Kevin Colbert's great at drafting wide receivers. Uh, Steelers have been good our entire life. They've pretty much been good our parents' entire lives. The Steelers have been good for 50 years now. Um, and, uh, so I understand when the Steelers are good. They have a good QB. They have a good organization. They draft well. <laughs> they have a great coach. The Browns have done none of those things our entire lives. Um, so the fact that they seem competent now, I will say Baker did try to give that game away at times. He... Uh, is strangely probably still the Browns' biggest question mark is their starting quarterback. He he can turn the ball over with the best of them out there um, and make some baffling decisions. But we mentioned it. Kevin Stefanski has definitely, you know, has gone to lengths to minimize that risk. Uh, he knows that running the ball is what the Browns do best on offense. Um, their defense seems much improved. Miles Garrett, you know, for all his... <laughs> faults and uh i guess you'll call them is an exceptionally talented defensive end and is probably on track uh potentially if it's not marlon humphrey to win uh defensive player of the year this year although aaron donald might have something to say about that we'll probably get to him in a minute or two but uh yeah i hate the browns being competent it's their first uh four and one start since browns 1.0 in 1994 when bill belichick was their head coach so it's been a while since we've seen a Browns team this, you know, even just competent. This is the word I'll use. They haven't been this in a long, long time. So it looks like the AFC North could be a three uh, three playoff team division. I believe, Antonio, you predicted that uh, before the season. So the Browns look good. I mean, well, it remains to be seen, too. They haven't exactly played the hardest teams either. So we'll see. But 
you know, it, they're, they're at least something the Ravens will have to deal with more than they have in a long, long time. The Browns winning 32-23, now dropped 30 points in their last four games. That's really been the key here, just figuring it out offensively. The defense has been fine, but I, I am curious to, to watch them play against the Steelers, and that's your classic cancel-out game. One of those two teams has to lose, in theory, and so the Ravens may be making uh, some moves up the standings. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, we want to talk about this Cowboys game and this Dak Prescott injury that I believe one, if not both of you, was watching this live. I just wrote down who the hell is now going to win the NFC East. It's a very, it's a very confusing. It was already confusing before the Dak injury. Cowboys currently in first place at two and three. Andy Dalton is going to lead that team now to an NFC East title. So I turn to you guys to talk about uh, first of all that Giants Cowboys game and then the future of, of the Cowboys in the NFC East this year. Yeah, I mean, even outside of the injury to Dak, uh, which I did see live, and um, I don't know, I don't understand people who enjoy watching those things. I recommend you do not. I have already recommended friends who haven't seen it. Please don't. I, I uh, admittedly am squeamish with that type of stuff, but I saw it, and immediately it was just, it was horrific. And you feel for him, especially everything he's gone through, and I'm not even talking about, uh, the contract stuff, which everybody has, uh, but even you know his openness to battling depression, and then having to deal with complete and utter idiots like Skip Bayless criticize him for being able to be brave enough to speak his mind about the issues that he's been dealing with, and then to go through this is just—it's incredibly sad. Um, on the NFC East, first of all, Andy Dalton—you could do worse. I, look, we can make fun <laughs> of the Red Rocket all we want, but you could definitely do worse as a backup quarterback. So. Might, for them, because that division is so bad, sneakily be one of the best moves of the offseason is signing him as the backup, uh, given everything that's happened, obviously. Um, but with the NFC East, I don't know who's going to win. I, I want to talk about the football team later. Um, I guess we can do it a little bit here now. But all I can say about I have no idea who's going to win, and thank God the Ravens are playing the NFC East this year because <laughs> it's usually bad, Ugh. but it is horrifically bad this season. Yeah, the Dak thing just stinks, you know. He was he was on pace to uh, destroy the single season passing yards record. He in four plus games now that his season's over, he he passed for like sixteen hundred yards. It was insane. He was on a crazy a crazy pace, and especially Tim mentioned a guy on the franchise tag. Now he was paid, you know, guaranteed thirty one million, but now. Who knows what his future holds, especially if for some reason Andy Dalton does decent and leads the Cowboys to a division title here. Um, you just feel bad for Dak. And that, I mean, that, that injury was gross. It, we were talking a little before. It took. It's one of those ones that is like almost so shocking to see that it took your brain like a few seconds to even process what you were seeing. Like, I thought... The way he was, like, holding his leg, I thought it was, like, a calf injury or maybe he blew his Achilles or something. And then you see his ankle just sideways, and you're like, that is not how foots go. And that was gross. And so I feel really bad for him. I don't know. I still think you have to view the Cowboys as the favorite. They're still Andy Dalton are not the most talented team, and we'll get to the Eagles in a second, but they're once again decimated by injuries. And Carson Wentz just looks bad this year for some reason, even though he was really good last year. Um, so that division's a tire fire. I agree with Tim. Glad uh, <laughs> the Ravens get to play them. And you mentioned it, so I just want to touch on it. On the good side of 
uh, comebacks from horrific injuries. Alex Smith played in an NFL game uh, yesterday, which I can't... I don't know if you all watched the E60 special on him where they showed how destroyed his leg was. Uh, But talking about things that were gross, that is one of the grossest things I've ever seen, certainly on ESPN. Uh, And I can't believe he's walking, much less playing NFL football. Um, So just really astounding, um, uh, you know, for him. I know he, he said it didn't really go how he envisioned kind of playing this game in the rain with no fans outside of, you know, family, his family was there, but, uh, and, uh, he got destroyed. We should say too. Uh, Washington is a horrific team and he got sacked, uh, five times for his troubles. Um, as Aaron Donald rang up four sacks overall and uh, one of his teammates added another three and Washington gained just over a hundred yards for the entire game. Um, so it didn't go great for them. And uh, I, I won't name him because I don't know if he wants to, but a friend of mine who is a longtime Washington football team fan um, said, while, you know, Alex Smith's return, super inspiring, the circumstances that led to him getting in the game uh, are once again kind of an indictment on uh, the Washington football team as a franchise. You know, they benched Dwayne Haskins after a 300-yard game against the Ravens. And we talked about how he wasn't great, but 300 yards, they bench him uh for this game then he gets sick and he's deactivated uh and then kyle allen gets knocked out so then your qb who hasn't played in two years since he literally almost died from a leg injury uh is suddenly thrust into this game and just kind of unfair to alex smith just getting eaten alive by this rams defensive line but i mean credit to alex smith man to (laughs) washington's horrible and obviously yesterday didn't go great for them but just to i can't even imagine playing football after that now if i was him would i retire i would have retired after the game i would have said i made it back i showed i can do it i overcame this crazy people thought i'd have to amputate my leg i was fighting for my life at one point from infections but i made it back to play an nfl game and then the second aaron donald sacked me three times i'd say and now i am retired i'm a 36 year old man (laughs) i proved i can do it but you know inspiring uh now i don't know if he wants Washington's in good hands if he plays the rest of the season, but still, it was good for him to get back out on the field. Other games, really one game in particular that I want to touch on here, Kansas City Chiefs, no longer undefeated. A very bizarre, in a way bizarre, home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, who dropped 40 points on them, 40-32 to this game. I from one side, you know, this is me just being maybe a little negative, but this is the game the Ravens were supposed to have where, sure, Kansas City will score 32 points, but we can outscore them because they looked terrible in the secondary against Derek Carr, who is fine. Some games he looks better, some games he looks terrible, but he had so many deep throws that just were the uh, Las Vegas receivers either wide open or just beyond the last defender for Kansas City and they led the majority of this game, were up two scores, and Kansas City made it a closer game in the last in the last few minutes to make it a one-score game. Thoughts on uh, on Kansas City moving forward? Thoughts on Las Vegas moving forward? Are they a team we now have to watch out for coming out of the AFC? Thoughts on, on that game, guys? 
I mean, Henry Ruggs is your typical. I know he's not there, obviously, anymore, but Al Davis pick. He had two receptions for 118 <laughs> yards and a touchdown, <laughs> which is just an incredible stat line. Um, on KC, it's just annoying because yes. they haven't looked ideal. Like, they the haven't looked good- <laughs> The only yeah, the only great game they played was against the Ravens and in the last ev- month. <laughs> yeah. And they eviscerated us. And then now Patrick Mahomes looks like he's human outside of a couple incredible throws, one to Tyreek Hill that actually got called back. Um Yeah, I, I don't have too much to say because I didn't watch a ton of this game. I had it up on red zone. Uh but what the hell? Like why why is it us, the team that they had to show up for? That they just completely dominate, and then everybody else, including New England, and now everybody's giving Bill Belichick the credit for exposing Patrick Mahomes and figuring out how to do it. Yeah, okay, I'm sure. Um, and now they like look kind of regular. It's it's. I know there wasn't a lot of analysis in there, but overall, it is just infuriating that this is what's happened. The Las Vegas receivers, their uh, their longs for the game, Henry Ruggs, a long of 72 yards. Nelson Aguilar, a long of 59 yards. Hunter Renfro, a long of 42 yards. What, what is happening? This was supposed to be the Ravens. This was supposed to be the opportunity to take advantage of a mediocre defense in Kansas City. And instead, it's Las Vegas, who is now 3-2 and two and uh, will be probably vying for one of those extra, or that one, I should say, extra wildcard spot coming out of the AFC this year. Uh, elsewhere, Dan Quinn. Fired, finally fired uh, from Atlanta. It took a 0-5 start, um, but he's finally gone. And then I I think we want to talk about the Jets here. Just a a, a quick 30 seconds on the Jets, who had a familiar face start for them this week. The results were the same. But, uh, Jace, you want to walk us uh, through New York for for a few minutes here? Well, our good friend Joe Flacco is improbably... Uh, the starting quarterback of the New York Jets, um, handing balls off to Frank Gore. I, uh, because, um, you know, I don't love myself, I guess, I decided to watch the highlights, the extended highlights of this game. (laughs) Jets, Cardinals. (laughs) That's what I did with my free time last night after work. Uh, So (laughs) it was exactly what you expect uh, from a Joe Flacco team. Lots of short crosses. He... He can't move anymore, not that he was ever especially mobile, but it just does not look like he's a man built to run anymore. You feel kind of bad. I mean, I respect him still getting checks. Tim uh, pulled up this great stat for us. Uh, The Jets are just the third team in the last 25 years to lose all of their first five games by at least two scores, (laughs) which (laughs) they are historically bad and... No, they don't even have, like, you know, at least if you're historically bad and you have Sam Darnold in there, you can be like, well, maybe he can show something. It's like, you're not showing anything. You're not building for the future with Joe Flacco <laughs> throwing the football for you on a one-year deal. So I, the Jets are definitely the most dire team in the league, definitely the worst team in the league. I know there's some other 0-5 teams. We mentioned the Falcons, but they're clearly more talented than that record. And the Giants have looked frisky at times, uh, have had games close. The uh, <laughs> the Jets have done none of those things, and it does. I don't know how long Darnold's out, but yeah, I feel kind of bad for Joe Flacco. He was great for I, I'll say he was very good for a long time. I'll defend him till the end. Uh, he won us a Super Bowl, but uh, 
Yeah, it's it's not good in New York, and it looks like they're the prime candidate for the Trevor Lawrence Derby. I have two quick things here before we wrap the NFL section. One, the San Francisco 49ers are terrible. They benched Jimmy Garoppolo 43-17 to 17, uh, losers against the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, excuse me, led Miami Dolphins. Fitzpatrick went 22 of 28 for 350 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's magic, insane. baby. Fitzmagic. Oh, Fitzmagic. Um, the San Francisco 49ers might be the worst Super Bowl hangover case in a very long time, to the point where, again, they benched Garoppolo after two of the worst interceptions I've seen in a while, and I watched Lamar Jackson throw that pick at the end of the first half against Cincinnati. And my final point, because someone didn't want to bring it up because he only wants to talk about them when they're winning, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing to the Chicago Bears on Thursday night, and Tom Brady, his mind is melting. He is so old that he doesn't even know what down it is. The Bears defense showing up. Khalil Mack throwing Tristan Wirfs off of him like a rag doll. Fuller lighting up the running back to, fall, to cause a fumble. The Bears defense showed up in a big way. And this Tampa Bay BS, we will get to it with picks later. Spoiler alert for this weekend. Our three and two. Long live the Chicago Bears and Nick Foles, who owns Tom Brady. And I loved seeing it on Thursday night. Yeah, I don't understand the... Uh... <laughs> The vitriol at, at other. I mean, I don't think any of us love you Tom keep Brady. Making me talk about it. You keep None making of me talk about it, so I'm going to bring it up when I, they I mean, lose. I'm sorry that I think it's relevant that a 43 year old man on a new team threw five touchdown passes in it. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> nope. I, I thought that was worth discussing last week, but uh, Tampa Bay—they're going to be fine. Uh, this was actually a pretty, like a. a surprising bonehead play from a 43-year-old man. So that I, I agree with you there that he's certainly would not have done that 5, 10, or dare I say 15 years ago when he was still an NFL quarterback. But <laughs> if he doesn't make that mistake, I kind of think they win. I, I, it, he threw a ball on fourth down that was never a throw he would have made in the situation where I think he needed, I think it was like a fourth and five situation, and he threw it like 15 yards into double coverage. If he knows that, I kind of think they just slowly make their way downfield and kick a game-winning field goal, but, you know, we'll, we'll move past it. I have no problem talking about uh, Tampa Bay in a loss. <laughs> they're in first place in the NFC South. I think they're going to be uh, okay there, but I appreciate uh, bringing them up, even, even in a loss. Uh, next week, they play the Green Bay Packers, and we will address that pick in our gambling section. Yes, we will. <laughs> uh, I have... Just I don't even I don't want to talk about it. I think we have to talk about it. I put COVID update as a topic. I'm very annoyed. It's not really getting better as we get further and further into the season. The NFL is just shuffling games left and right and trying to reorganize the schedule so that all these teams can get their games in. Uh, bye weeks are getting affected. It looks, I'll say, probable that they're going to have to add a week or something, tack on some sort of extra week at the end of the season to make sure all these teams get their games in. Tennessee Titans, what are you guys doing? Pay, you know, pay attention. Don't ruin the NFL for the rest of us. Um, but there's a few spot <laughs> cases left and right. The Tampa Bay, I mean, um, <laughs> just got, got uh, Tom Brady on the brain here. 
Tampa um, Bay on the mind. The the Patriots games have been moved a few times because they've had a few spot cases that keep recurring every every few days. Seemingly, they, their game this week got bumped. I hate it. I want the NFL in my life, and I'm getting more and more concerned that there's going to be a week here where they have to reassess how they're <laughs> going to handle the rest of the NFL season. I think, yeah, not to dwell on it, I think just what you said is, like, there's no reason they have to keep the schedule strictly to 17 weeks. Like, they could push all the way into March if they want to. All the way into April if they want to. They're the NFL. You're going to be the most watched thing on TV (laughs) no matter when you play these games. So, uh, you know, in this most recent schedule reshuffle, eight different teams have been impacted. Now, the Ravens weren't involved in this one, but obviously their bye week got moved. Uh, from the Titans' original cancellation, so it's it's a definite mess. <laughs> it doesn't seem like something that's going to get particularly better. And as we record this Monday, I believe the Titans are still set to play on Tuesday, though I don't know how that'll go because <laughs> um, they had another coach, I think, crop up with a test over the weekend or Friday or so. So. It's a mess, but here, as you said, I hope we get the games because the NFL is great and we do an NFL podcast. So. <laughs> All right, let's turn away from the NFL as a whole now and back to the Ravens because they have a game at the moment scheduled for Sunday and it is in Philadelphia against the 1-3-1 one, and one Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. I don't have a ton to say about this game. I put a few notes here. I want to start, let's start with the Ravens defense against the Eagles offense, and I'm going to bring two questions to you guys, and I'll let you go from there. Will the Ravens have more or less than three and a half sacks against Carson Wentz, and will the Ravens force more than or less than two and a half turnovers against Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles? I want to just shove the overs for both of those, and that's kind of how I think this game is going to end up going, but I'll turn to you guys. Ravens defense against the Eagles offense. Yeah, it is weird because obviously everybody's talked about the Eagles, and I will not talent wise. I don't think they're one and three and one. Um, clearly they haven't shown that recently. They've been hit with a number of injuries too. I mean, the, the guys that uh, Wentz is throwing the ball to uh, full ham, full, full ham, who had 150 yards against the Steelers uh, at Greg Ward, the former Houston quarterback are his two leading receivers right now with Zach Ertz, who, Personally, I think might be a little bit of a problem for these Ravens. Let's see how guys like Chuck Clark and Patrick Queen handle one of the best tight ends in the NFL. I think that'll be a matchup to watch on the defensive end. But I will bring you this. We talked all week last week, or when we previewed the the Cincinnati game, got to get after the quarterback, got to get after the quarterback, got to get after the quarterback. They clearly did that. The Bengals are the worst team in the league uh, in terms of sacks per game. Joe Burrow has been sacked 4.4 times per game. Washington is 31st. And Philadelphia is 30th, sacking Carson Wentz 3.8 times per game. He's, all, he's been on the ground 19 times uh, in terms of being sacked. So, they, yeah, they absolutely have to get after him again. Hopefully, Wink didn't show the Bengals everything, and he still has a few things up his sleeve. Because that's how you're going to win this game. Wentz, he's not a rookie like Burrow, but he still does the rookie thing of trying to make the play, never giving up on a play, which is to his detriment a lot of the time. And the Ravens need to expose that. They are a turnover-happy defense. That's how they thrive. So I will go over for the sacks, 
And I think they'll get a couple turnovers, but I'll go under for the turnovers there. I don't think they're going to get as many as you think. I I think I'm with Tim on the, the overs is the sacks under on the turnovers, though. Carson Wentz, he's already thrown more interceptions this year by two than he did all of last year. And I don't know what his deal is. He was very good last year when similarly all the receivers that were like healthy and or they weren't healthy, but like all his receivers were out last year too. Like they are once again this year. Um, and their offensive line was also banged up a lot last year, and he was really good. And now he's just not this year. It's kind of very confusing. I don't really know what changed because the circumstances really haven't. Their offensive line has once again been decimated, as has their receiving core. Um, so I agree. I think the Ravens should be able to get after Wentz. Now, I do think, obviously, he's not he's not a rookie, so I don't think you're going to be able to rattle him as much as perhaps they did Burrow and um, – He's probably a little more shifty even than Burrow, I'd say. But uh, and he's a little bigger guy too, so it'll be they'll have their hands full. But I do think they should be able to at least pop him a lot if they don't get him on the ground a ton. Um, but yeah, I they're on the defensive side. The Eagles' secondary is once again, even though they added Darius Slay, their numbers aren't great. Once again, um, you can get some some stuff against with the pass going against them. Uh, yeah, they are uh, 21st in touchdowns and uh, 17th against in yards. Um, and, yeah, on offense, they don't do much of anything. They don't run the ball very well. They don't pass the ball all that well. But uh, am I marginally more concerned than the last two weeks for this game? Definitely. Because I am with Tim. I do think the Eagles are more talented than uh, their record indicates. But, I don't know, something's not working for them this year. <laughs> and they haven't. Uh, their one wins against a Niners team that, as it turns out, might not just be that good this year. So, uh, and they tied against the Cincinnati Bengals team. We just, uh, you know, demolished, frankly, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, and Mixon went off against them, right? That was the game he had a whole bunch of, or no, I'm thinking of the Jaguars game. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I still, the Ravens should still win. But and I'm a little more concerned. But the Eagles just aren't that good this year, and it's weird to say for a team that had you know won that division several years in a row. That's a pretty classic Jace analysis, where you you make every logical argument for the Ravens to win, and then you say, "Am I more concerned?" Yes, <laughs> I am not <laughs> really right. concerned. If they were fans in, you know, in the stands, I guess, you know, it'd be a road game and that would be a, a slight concern, but the Eagles have not looked good. They have one win against Nick Mullins and they almost <laughs> lost that game. They really were behind the 49ers the majority of the game and then Nick Mullins threw a pick six on like his own 25 yard line and all of a sudden they, I think Wentz made one good throw late in that game and they won by five. I just, this Eagles team has been banged up all season. It has not gotten better for them. I just think Wentz, this is the case of the the playmaker forcing the ball constantly. I think he has nine interceptions this season and only uh, five games. They tied the Bengals. I just, I don't see it. Um, <laughs> I would love to see the Ravens establish the run in this game. The Eagles give up 115 rushing yards per game, which is, I mean, it's not great, but it's also not terrible. You know, the Ravens, have, we've sort of set that number for them to try to get 200 yards rushing. If they hit that number, they win football games. They have not done that this season. 
Um, if Lamar is still banged up, if his knee is still bothering him, let this be that game before you have that tough stretch. Figure out the running game. I want them to run it more than they throw it, which they did not do in a game where they led a bad team the entire game. John, this is the week. 30 carries, 25 passing attempts, and the Ravens win by double digits. So I'm going to turn quickly to my pick, and then Tim or Jace, if you have more analysis in this game. But uh, with that, I do think the Ravens run it more than they have. I think they have success that way. I think they go over turnovers and over sacks of those numbers that I offered. Uh, And I'm picking the Ravens to cover the 7.5 point spread. Yeah, um, just real quickly, one thing to look at too, uh, Lane Johnson, their incredible right tackle for the Eagles, is another guy who might be injured. He got carted (laughs) off the field uh, against the Steelers, and he's getting a second evaluation on his ankle. So something to keep out through the week because – in terms of that defensive side of the ball that we talked about, would be a huge boost for the Ravens if that guy is not on the field because he is one of their very, very good offensive linemen um, along with Jason Kelsey. In terms of the Ravens, I mean, you nailed it, Antonio. Jace mentioned how their pass defense is okay. Their run defense has given up over, I think it's around 114 yards per game on the ground. And let's boost that number a little bit. Let's let's run for 150, 160 on them and do what we do best. Uh, as we record this, Jonas Schaffer over the Baltimore Sun put up a piece that you can find. We just retweeted it at Pod Like a Raven about John Harbaugh defended the Ravens' pass-dominant play calling on Sunday. He said the spirit of his argument was valid, but none of the numbers he cited were accurate. So something to get, read there. And let's hope that John realizes that and kind of gets back, and, and Greg Roman, we should say as well, to what the Ravens do best. And uh, I want to see a little JK, too. With all of that being said, the one thing I do worry about is – because he is talented and there is talent on this team that all of a sudden it's Carson Wentz finds his form game. And that there is that possibility. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I don't know what's going wrong. I hope it continues for at least another (laughs) seven days, but at the moment there's always that chance that he could just break out and they could have some receiver you've never heard of go for a buck 50. All that being said, I'm going Ravens minus seven and a half as well against Philly, and I'll just round out mine with my other picks here. Um, I was on the Carolina train, and I immediately regretted it as soon as it left my mouth. But Carolina, they got Dan Quinn fired and Thomas Dimitrov (laughs) fired, and Teddy Two Gloves and Matt Rule are doing some decent things down there in Carolina. So give me them minus two and a half at home versus Chicago. You you know, Tampa Bay's so bad they lost to Chicago. I don't think Chicago's that good either. So give me the Carolina Panthers and then – Speaking of Tampa, the Green Bay Packers are only one-and-a-half-point favorites against Tampa Bay. And that – oh, God, I can't believe I just said that. Tampa Bay, (laughs) who has an incredible defense, an old Hall of Famer at quarterback, all the weapons, we've talked about it. But that team is undisciplined as all get out, especially on the defensive side of the football. And you know who loves the hard count. You know who loves sitting at the line and making these defenders worried about where he's going and just picking these guys apart pre-snap. It's not Tom Brady. It's Aaron Rodgers. He is going to roast this defense and give me Green Bay minus one and a half away to Tampa Bay all day. As somebody who is absolutely not a gambling man, it's my lock of the year. Lock it up. (laughs) Green Bay minus one and a half. That line is completely baffling. I feel like the Packers had their bye week and people just forgot they were good or something. They're leading the NFL in points and they're second in yards. Uh, They are an exceptional offense. They've looked really good. Um, 
well, Zadarius Smith, which we'll have to have a conversation about this someday, one of the biggest misses in recent Ravens letting free agents walk, top 10 defensive player uh, in this league. He was awesome against Atlanta. Yeah, I, I'm with Tim. One and a half. It's absurd. They're so much better. The Packers are so much better than the Buccaneers. Uh, I agree. It's my lock of the year to just uh, circle back to the Ravens. Um, I am also, we're all three on the same page. Seven and a half minus seven and a half. Um, For the same reasons, I think, you know, they have been playing not great and Lamar has vowed to play this week or practice this week. Uh, so who knows? Uh, I'm of the mind that he didn't practice cause he probably has a knee injury, but we'll see how that <laughs> plays out. But if I think if they get their thing, get their ducks in a row more on offense, I think this is, you know, going into bye week, uh, this sort of impromptu bye they now have, uh, I think they'll finish strong. I think they'll cover the seven and a half. And then just to, uh, round out my final pick, um, cause uh, yeah, the Packers won that line's crazy to me. And so I'm sure the Bucks are going to win now, but, uh, the Los Angeles Rams traveling up to beautiful Santa Clara, California to play the San Francisco 49ers as three and a half point favorites. The, uh, Niners, as you said, um, I, didn't pay much attention to this game yesterday because I was working when the Dak Prescott news happened and that was kind of, you know, overshadowed the entire day uh, for me work-wise and just in the NFL, I think. But uh, the the Dolphins scoring 43 points on the 49ers was definitely like the least talked about game of the day and definitely like the weirdest result. <laughs> And I feel like because that Cowboys game was happening, no one paid attention to just how bad the 49ers looked, how crazy that was. They have a QB problem. Either Jimmy G's still hurt or whatever it is, and Nick Mullins isn't the answer. And, you know, C.J. Beathard can only do so much. He's C.J. Beathard. I watched him when he was in college at Iowa. He was, at best, fine then. So, um, the Rams have looked really good. They're, I believe, 4-1 and now. And, um... Yeah, I mean, they. Aaron Donald had four sacks yesterday. He looks like he might be en route to another Defensive Player of the Year award win. He's he's rolling. They're they're just look. They look really good on both sides of the ball. Uh, they're a solid team, and I don't know how they're only three and a half point favorites against a team that has so many question marks like the Forty ers So I'm going with the Rams as my final pick. I think it's a pod like a Raven first, where we have two. Lock it in picks in the same for the same game with Tim and Jace both taking the Packers. I like that as well. It's it's not in my official picks, but I, I agree with you guys. I would like to know that Devontae Adams was playing in that game before I made sort of the official uh make it a, a, a three way lock it in pick, but the only hesitation I have for that game is that Tom Brady I you know, he's a prideful guy and he knows that he uh done messed up with not knowing how to count to four and I just could envision a game where he comes back from that kind of mistake and it's late in the game and they're in they're in it so I don't have that as as an official pick I'm, I'm afraid of, of uh the the two game slide in it for a Tom Brady team but uh I do have the Ravens as I said and I wanted to just note um the undefeated season dream for me is officially dead uh I I, I started the year 10 and 0 on my picks um but I did lose with with a teaser because of uh, uh, of Tampa Bay last week. But still went two and one, guys. So it's a twelve and one 
start to the season for me, and I will keep uh, ramming this down your throat until I have a terrible <laughs> week. But this week I'm going Ravens, minus 7.5, and, and then I'm doing a three-team teaser. I'm taking Pittsburgh. They're hosting Cleveland uh, just for the fact that they're hosting. They're already uh, three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to pick them. I'm going to move that line to plus Three and a half. If they lose to Cleveland, it is by a field goal and no more. So I'm teasing that to three and a half. Indianapolis, after their rough loss to Cleveland, they get to play Cincinnati at home. Um, They're currently seven and a half point favorites, so I'm going to bump that down to one and a half. And then the LA Rams, for all the reasons Jace mentioned, traveling to San Francisco. I don't know who's playing quarterback for San Francisco this week. I guess Jimmy's back in, but I'm teasing that to plus three and a half for the Rams. So Pittsburgh plus three and a half, Indy minus one and a half, and the Rams plus three and a half. I need all three of those, but that's my three team teaser for this week. That's all we have. We got to answer this random Raven first. Tim, can you read us those clues one more time and then we'll uh, get on out of here. Sure. Yeah. So uh, clue number one, this player had two separate stints in Baltimore playing four seasons from 2002 to 2005 and then a second time, uh, one season with the Super Bowl champs in 2012. He started his career in Baltimore as an undrafted free agent and ended it after lifting the Lombardi Trophy in that final season. Uh, clue number two, in his first three seasons combined, he only started five games. But in 2005, he started in all 16 games. And in 2012, when he came back, he started 13 for Baltimore. Clue number three, his older brother won two Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Number four, in five seasons in Baltimore, he totaled 141 tackles, five sacks, and 11 tackles for loss. Clue number five, he also played for two other teams in his career, the Carolina Panthers and the WFT, the Washington football team. And then I got a bonus (laughs) clue. I know I think both of my guys have it, but if the listeners need something, we'll do the number clue here. He had two separate numbers in Baltimore. In his first stint, he wore the same number as Haloti Nada, or now Justin Matabuke. And in his second stint, he wore the same number as Adelius Thomas. So those are your clues, boys. Okay. I think I got it. And I don't know if you want me to go Antonio, but I believe this is Make Kimoyatu. I've got the nods of approval from Antonio as well. It is Make Kimoyatu. That is your random Raven this week. That's a random one. The 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 two stints different jersey numbers. That's how you know you got a real <laughs> a real good guy. For a second, and th- uh, earlier in your clues, I thought uh, Brendan Ian Badejo. Just for the the, I know he had a brother who played in the yeah. NFL, but I'm not sure what his he was oh, on that Super Bowl team. <laughs> but I don't know what what his two if he had two stints with the Ravens or just one. But yeah, Kimoyatu. Good football family. That's just a football family right Chris Kimoyatu? Is that his brother? That is his brother, yes. I was, tr- I was struggling to think of what the first name was, but I was like, it's like less exciting. It's less good. <laughs> As Make. <laughs> uh, so that just is Chris. our random Raven for this week. Guys, if, uh, if there's nothing else, Ravens, 4-1, and one, rolling. I was going to say, I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, the Ravens have the NFL best Point differential at plus 73. The second closest team is Green Bay at plus 51. The Ravens have a 22-point advantage in point differential, and we have not been impressed with them the last few weeks. Guys, put it together this week. Let's see a complete game against the Philadelphia Eagles. 
for Jace Evans and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.